right, microphone check. Good morning, St. Andrew's Church. My name is Kenny Keating. Uh, a little bit about myself. I grew up here in Redondo Beach. I used to drive by this church, I mean, ride my bike by this church when I was going to the beach uh, my whole life. My wife, Blanca, and I got married 25 years ago right here. I think I was standing right here maybe, right? And so I just have an affection. Uh, Pastor Mark Nazarian was friends with my dad. He actually tried to recruit me to be the youth pastor here maybe 20 years ago. But then I got hired on a fire department. And so I currently work on the fire department as a paramedic, firefighter paramedic in La Salle. And I live in Lomita. And as it turned out, Pastor Peter moved about two blocks away from me. And so we've become buddies. And he invited me here this morning to share God's word. And we'll be in John chapter 8. Uh, and so I'm excited to do that. One ex uh, encouraging kind of uh, uh, a piece of news in a world that is filled with, I think, bad, dis discouraging news, right? Some encouragement. Polls are showing that the gospel and particularly young people's uh, excitement about spiritual things. There's almost like this reawakening, they're saying, happening where we're moving away from uh, uh, this perpetu perpetual like uh, a move towards an agnostic or an atheist worldview. And people are, are wanting to believe that there's a God and wanting to believe that, that there's truth out there. But what we're seeing is they don't know where to search. And so I want to think through a couple things today. How do we know if Christianity as a worldview is aligned with what is true? Do we have an answer for these young people who are seeking and searching for spirituality? And like one of my neighbors, she's wonderful. She she's, acts a lot like what I think Jesus would act like. She's a great neighbor. She's probably one of the kindest, compassionate, most thoughtful people that I know. And she grew up in a fundamentalist a Christian a journey and kind of walked away from that. And now she's not like opposed to it. But we have some other neighbors that moved in, one of, one of which is, is Muslim. And this Muslim lady just seems to have a lot of peace. She seems to have her life together. And so there's a little confusion with my neighbor. Like, how do we know what's true? Like, I grew up as a Christian. Is that the only reason why I was a Christian? And, and she grew up as a Muslim. Is that the only reason why she's a Muslim? How do we know with certainty what's true? And people are asking this question. We need to have a good answer for this question. There's a whole generation hungry to discover truth. And, just, and, and, and they want this knowledge. They want to know. I remember when I was 16 years old searching for that and praying daily, God, if you're real, I want to know because I want to know you, but I don't want to be duped. I don't want to just follow Christianity because my parents did. I want to know and people want to know. And if we do land in a position where we believe that Christianity is true, well, which brand of Christianity is most authentic? 
I, don't, I think in, in our world with the internet and things being so global, we just get exposed to so many different opinions and we're hyper aware that there's all these different interpretations to different passages and which one is the most authentic. And this morning in John chapter 8, I believe we have a very solid answer to both of those questions. How do we know if Christianity is true? And how do we know which brand of Christianity is the most authentic? So I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me as we read John chapter 8, verse 12 through 20. I don't know if you guys normally stand when you read the scriptures. It's not a, not a right or a wrong thing, but I kind of think about it if you were like the shortstop for the Dodgers and the pitcher's there and he's, he's just about to like receive the, the signal from the catcher and then he's going to wind up and pitch and you're the shortstop and you need to be ready in case the ball comes to you. I think we need to stand up and just be ready in case God wants to say something to you this morning in this passage. So thank you for appeasing my desire to have you stand, and I'll read from John chapter 8, verse 12 through 20. It says, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge but I and the Father who sent me. And even, if your law, even in your law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I'm the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. And then they asked him, well, where is your Father? You know neither me nor my Father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would, know, you would also know my Father. He spoke these words, by the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. You may be seated. This is a reading of God's word. Now, it, this begins with an interesting conjunction, doesn't it? A conjunction is something that conjoins it with what came before, right? And he says, Jesus spoke to them again. It's a conjunction because he was speaking to them, and now he's speaking to them again. And so we can assume that this passage somehow uh, uh, continues on something that he's already been doing and something that he's already been saying. Jesus spoke to them again. He said, I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, Jesus, as a light in the darkness, is a very significant theme for the author John. 
In fact, if you remember back to chapter 1, the first 18 verses is called a prologue. It's beautifully written. And, it, and, and he, he begins this theme, the light in the darkness. Jesus is the light in the darkness. And first, in the prologue, he makes this claim, a radical claim, that Jesus is Yahweh. Yahweh being the name that the Bible gives for the God that we worship as Christians. Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later it says, Jesus is this Word, claiming Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God. And he says, all things that were created were created through this Jesus, who is God. And then in verse 4 it says, in him was life. And that light was the light of men. So here in chapter 1, we first see this title he gives himself, the light of life. What does this mean? Light represents an ability to see something. What John is trying to convey is that Jesus Christ came as a type of revelation. So that if you or if anyone you know or if anyone out there was searching for truth in a world that feels dark and confusing and contentious. This light that Jesus came, this revelation that Jesus came would expose what is true in the darkness. That's what he's saying. Furthermore, if we want to find this kind of life that John keeps talking about throughout his gospel, this word life, if we want to find this life we can look no further than Jesus. Jesus came and revealed the truth. He was a revelation from God who was in fact God. So when we look at Jesus, we see the clearest picture of Yahweh possible. Now, do you guys know in the Old Testament, in the Torah, where the clearest description of Yahweh was before this, Jesus came and revealed? It's in Exodus 34. In Exodus 34, it says, Yahweh, Yahweh. This is God talking about himself to his people. Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in covenant love and truth. That is what God's like. That is what God says, this is what I'm like. And now Jesus shows up and says, I'm Yahweh. I am gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. 
and abounding in covenant, love, and faithfulness. Chesed and emet are the Hebrew words. And case in point, Yahweh is all of these characteristics incarnate, in the flesh. He came and he dwelt among us. The actual, uh, uh, literally would mean he, he, he tabernacled with us. When you think of tabernacle, that's language that is a hyperlink to bring us back again to Exodus. He wants us to go here and see back in Exodus what Yahweh is like. And he wants us to see Jesus has come and he's the perfect, he's, he's revealing this to you all. This is what it looks like in the flesh. And in John 1.14, it says, Jesus came in grace and truth. How many of you guys love the Christmas carol, Joy to the World? Right? He ruled the world with... It's from John 1.14. What you need to know, though, is those words, grace and truth, are the exact interpretation into Greek from Hebrew of chesed and emet. It's Exodus 34 just repackaged and saying, Jesus is this, Yahweh. You guys see that? Hopefully, that's encouraging to you. All that being said, the point is, every time that we see Jesus revealed to us as a light in the Gospel of John, we should consider that the author John is reminding us that Jesus is the perfect revelation of who God is. So how do we know that Christianity is the most truthful and trustworthy context for viewing the world and the pathway of a good life? We look to Jesus. All other religions... And all other lifeway pathways, they may give good advice. They may produce some great people that we are great neighbors and great co-workers. But they don't have Jesus. How do we know which version of Christianity is most authentic? The one that most reflects Jesus. Last week, you guys looked at the story that comes right before this, if you remember, right? And it's a famous story about Jesus and they brought, the Pharisees brought this woman kind of out of nowhere through the crowd. And it turns out that they had caught her in the act of adultery. Now, one must wonder, how do you set up that type of trap? Do you have one of your Pharisees' buddy pay someone off to sleep with her? And then pay someone else to be in the room? Because you have to have two witnesses. This is a, supposed to be seen as this ridiculous charade of them trying to trap Jesus by exploiting a woman. And Jesus famously kneels down and writes something in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. But then he gets up and says... Whichever one of you has never sinned, you throw the first stone. You guys remember that? And none of them are able to throw a stone because they're all sinners. 
And we know they're all sinners in need of grace, right? And so this kind of shuts them up. They're, they're quiet. It says one by one, they, they, they sort of leave. And Jesus was not ready to be shut up. Because the very next passage says, and Jesus kept talking. And Jesus kept saying, right? And Jesus said to them again. And he proclaims to them that he is the light of life. A revelation of who Yahweh is. And light describes his being this revelation of Yahweh, God incarnate in the flesh, which is what we already saw, right? Tabernacled, he tabernacled with us. And what we're meant to see is that this is also a reference to a type of life that goes way beyond what we might call just a basic life. And now I work as a paramedic, and some of you guys probably have some medical experience, some knowledge greater than myself. But we know that how do you define life depends on how you're answering that question. What perspective, right? Like, like are signs of life just breathing and having a heartbeat? Is, is it signs of life that you have, you know, food on the table and a, a roof over your head? Or is it signs of life, a true life, if you have enough followers on, you know, Instagram and, and you have enough people that think you're, you're great? What does, what does it take to, to have what we would call life? And John will make this more and more apparent throughout his gospel that this idea of life that he keeps talking about is a big deal. As Christians, how do we Define life. In chapter 15, he's going to give this great picture. You probably heard it before. That, that, that we are, that God is the vine and we are the branches. And that if we stay connected to God as, as branches connected to the vine, then we will have what? Abundant life. And then in John 17, he says, this is eternal life. He's praying. He says, this is what eternal life. You want to Google eternal life and have Jesus give you the answer? This is what he says eternal life is. It is to know God and to know Jesus who is Yahweh. To know him. To have a relationship with this Yahweh is life. And Jesus is the light this life he's the revelation of who God is inviting us making a way for us who are all sinners in need of grace to have a relationship with God which John would say that is life that is what Jesus came to bring and now the Pharisees they, they, they pivot their strategy now to discredit Jesus because they want to dispose of him. They want him out of the way. And they say, you're saying these things about yourself, Jesus. Why should we believe you? You're just saying it about yourself. And John gives us kind of a playful, comedic moment in this narrative. 
If you put these two stories together, the adulterous woman and Jesus as the light of life, you'll see that there's a common Hebrew theme there. And that is that in order to, uh, to make a judgment, you need at least two witnesses. And so here's this connection, right? You need two witnesses. And so they provided two witnesses to show that this woman, in fact, is a sinner who was caught in adultery. Caught by two witnesses. I don't know if it was one of the witnesses was the one who they paid probably to sleep with her and to, so, so that she would kind of entice her into it. I don't know. It was, was the other person. But there was two witnesses. And they're like, we had two witnesses, right? Where's your witnesses, Jesus? When Jesus claimed to be the light of life, if you're, if you're a, a, a Bible scholar who would study through Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, you would know that he talks about this theme a ton. The light of life is not a new thing that Jesus is saying. Jesus is, in fact, quoting from Isaiah. I am the light of life. I am the one that Isaiah prophesied would come. Jesus has been revealing himself through his life, through his mission, to be the Messiah, to be the suffering servant that Isaiah ranted about a thousand years earlier. And Isaiah often refers to the coming of the Messiah as a light. Coming into the darkness. So there's your first witness. I call to the stand the prophet Isaiah. Anybody have a problem with that guy? Right? And he claimed that when the Messiah came, he would do this and this and this and this. That's exactly what I'm doing. Exhibit A. Jesus fulfills so many prophecies about the Messiah, that it is in fact an overwhelming probability that he must be the Messiah, just on that proof alone. Also, Jesus himself has proven to be credible. And he's saying that he's the Messiah. You guys have probably heard the famous line from C.S. Lewis that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord, right? Because if he's claiming to be God, either he's lying and he knows it, he's a lunatic and he really thinks he's God, but he isn't, or he is the Lord. And that is in essence what Jesus is saying here in John 8, like, I say that I am and I'm credible. I'm, I'm a credible witness. And that's at least two credible witnesses right there. And the nail on the proverbial coffin of Jesus' argument, he says, is that the Father sent him and testifies about him. The problem is they don't know the Father. And so they don't have eternal life. They, the Pharisees, in fact, need the light of life Although they think they already have it, and they think they're the ones that are able to dispense who can have a relationship with God, they're the ones trying to judge that out, and Jesus is like, I don't play that game, I don't judge that way. If I did, it would be true, right? 
the Father testifies about me and you don't know him. And that's the problem. You need to know him. You need to know him just like everyone else. Because you too are a sinner. Saved by grace. So it's the same outcome as him riding in the sand. And they would come to the realization they're a sinner in need of God's grace. And here he brings them back to that exact same place. We're all just sinners in need of grace. This makes them mad. This makes them mad like someone who has shown up on the playground in front of their peers. And they want to kill him. They're not yet able to put nails through his hand and nails through his feet. Jesus puts the proverbial nails in the coffin of the argument but they're not yet able to put the nails in Jesus. And John tells us why. He says, because his hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. Now, I didn't go through and count, but there's got to be at least 10 or 15 times in the Gospel of John where it uses that exact phraseology. His hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. Eventually, we'll get to a point where the hour comes and he's crucified. But when it says the hour had not yet come, and then Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. It tells us he knew his purpose. He knew his hour would come, but not yet. There's still things for him to do. There's still work for him to be done, to, for him to, do, to, be, to be done by him. And so anyone who would come to Jesus for salvation would be able to experience a rebirth, new life, be a new creation. Jesus is the light of this type of life. He's an invite. He's a revelation that God that Jesus is Yahweh, that Christianity is true. And he's an invite to find life in this life-giving thing called Christianity. And Jesus' offer, it still stands. It still stands to this day. In St. Andrew's Church, you and I we get to be witnesses of this wonderful news and to take it to the world. See, I've been riding my bike and getting married and coming here to preach a few times at St. Andrew's Church for my whole life. I've seen Pastor Mark and now I've seen Pastor Peter and I want to say something prophetic to you. God's not done with you. God is going to fill up these pews and he's going to use you and you need to know with everything in your bones that this Jesus is good news, that he proved himself, that he is trustworthy, that he is filled with grace 
and truth. That he comes with covenant, which is a, 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 a commitment to keep your promises. A covenant, love, and faithfulness. And that love brought him to the cross and that love is still being extended. In fact, the, the Apostle Peter said, you know why Jesus is taking such a long time to come back? You ever wonder that? I do. Like when you're having a bad day or going through a bad season, like why doesn't Jesus just come back, right? It's getting so hard. It's getting so bad. And Peter goes, the reason why he hasn't come back yet is because he's patient. Which is, he's he's. He's, he's compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, patient. That's who he is. Because he's not wanting anyone to perish. But he wants everybody to know him. To have this life that John keeps talking about. And we find the answer in Jesus. How do we know, St. Andrew's Church, that Christianity is true? We're the only thing out there on the market who has Jesus. How do we know which brand of Christianity is the most authentic? Forget that. and Just follow Jesus. Whoever's following Jesus the most passionately, the most poignantly, you're the one that's the most on brand with the most authentic version of Christianity. And so this morning... If you're somebody who has seen the surpassing worth of following Jesus and has spent a lifetime, or maybe you're just in the beginning of the process, reorienting your life around that conviction, which if you want to know what it looks like to be a disciple, that's what it looks like, to see the surpassing value of following Jesus and then one step at a time just reorienting your life around that conviction and if that's you I want to encourage you this morning you're going the right way things around you might be falling apart but you're going the right way you you might have a bunch of questions you might have a bunch of doubts you might have a bunch of struggles but you're going the right way and Jesus has got you and Jesus when he, when he ascended to heaven, he promised he would come back and restore all things. You don't need to fret. You're going the right way. And if you've gotten off track, here's the good news. Jesus is still the light of life. This morning, you're able to just come right back to God like Luke said about the prodigal son who had wandered off from his father and then came to his senses and came back to find a, a father that was rejoicing to have him back. That could you be you this morning. After the service, there'll be some prayer up in the front office here. If you need prayer, please come get prayer. There should be a line out the door. If you, let me just give you the soapbox. If you need prayer, who doesn't need prayer? All right, make your line. And if you're still up in the air about this Christianity thing, I'm so glad you're here. If you haven't seen many good reflections of Jesus in the church, if you've been hurt by the church or by Christians, first of all, I just say I'm so sorry about that. But my encouragement to you 
from this passage is look past all of that and find Jesus. That's why Christianity is true. Not because the church is without its problems. God bless the church. The church is messed up. I'm messed up. I don't think you probably mind me saying you're probably messed up. We're all messed up. But Jesus is the light of life. That's our hope. And that's it. So our confidence that Christianity is true is centered in Jesus. I want to have the worship band come back up. The version of Christianity that we should be striving for is the one that is most reflective of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And I can tell you with certainty that I believe with all of my heart that if anybody, I don't care who you are, I don't care if you were Saul who was persecuting the church and would later become the Apostle Paul. I don't care if you're the farthest off. I don't care if you're the woman that this morning was caught in adultery. I don't care who you are, where you've been. If you were to see a real glimpse of this Jesus, you would have all the proof you know, need to follow him with confidence. And that's the gospel. And that's our hope. And that's our mission. And that's your mission, St. Andrew's Church. Fill these pews. Fill these pews with people seeking because you're so much like Jesus, this is where they find Jesus. Amen? How many of you guys want this to be a place where people find Jesus? Amen. Let me pray a blessing over you. Heavenly Father, I first of all just pray for Pastor Peter. I just love him as a brother. And I know that he's doing a wonderful work here. And I just pray for him as he's on rest that you would give him rest for his soul. And, and I pray for his family that they would just, just have an experience that unites them and that fills their hearts and binds them together. And I pray for this church family. I pray that you would just reignite this church with a passionate desire to move forward with faith and with excitement and with as if they have good news to share. I pray that you would fill these pews with seekers looking for the truth and that they would find it here. I pray that more people would get baptized here. I pray that more people would get married here. I pray that more people would have kids here. I pray that more people who are single would find life here. Pray, I pray that, that everything that this church needs, they would find it in you that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would fill them with encouragement, that you would reignite them with a fire and that any discouragement in this room would just blow out of here and a fresh wind would come with your Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name.